Hi, I'm Max Lindblad, and you're listening to Inside Position. Sacrifices. You gotta make sacrifices with your team. To answer your question. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Position with me, Tom Halpin. Today's guest is one of the best grapplers in Europe, Sweden's own Max Lindblad. Max is a world champion at the brown belt level, and he's also had some very successful results at the black belt level so far. I always enjoy talking to people who come from areas where jiu-jitsu isn't that big when they start training. They usually have a much more interesting journey and more obstacles that they've overcome in getting to a high level. And Max was no different. We had a great chat about some of the pressures that come along with knowing you're talented in a sport, but not knowing if you can achieve your goals in the place that you're currently training, as well as much more. As a side note as well, since we recorded this episode, Max's gym was unfortunately burned down in an apparent arson attack. They're running a fundraiser at the moment to try and get things back on track as much as they can for everyone who's training at the gym and themselves. So I'll leave a link to that in the description for anyone who wants to check it out. I'm sure any help would be much appreciated. As usual as well, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure you share it with your friends. We have some great episodes coming out over the next few weeks. So let's get into the chat now with Max Lindblad. Hey Max, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to see you again. The first thing that kind of came to my mind was actually thinking back to the episode I did with Craig and he mentioned about being disappointed that he got bronze in the World Pro at Brown Belt and that Dante was trying to cheer him up Mm. on the podium saying that, oh, look where you are. You're on a podium full of international guys, Australian, Canadian and a Swedish fella. And turns out you were the Swedish fella. So I was kind of wondering what the backstory was to winning that tournament. It must have been one of the biggest ones of your career at that time. Like I think it's the biggest of all of my career still. Where so many guys in the bracket, I just had like the perfect day. You shouldn't say like the finals with Dante was easy, but I feel like I really performed and like everything went way all yeah. through the tournament. Yeah. And were you expecting to win it? Yeah, I was always feel like I have a chance on, on the goal though. And did it do anything for you afterwards? Did you feel like, okay, now I'm kind of in this jiu-jitsu thing for life or like did it change your goals no i, I already like dedicated my life to jiu-jitsu and and that was like a result okay. of, of it so i wouldn't say it changed any, anything that year i made a comeback from um because the year before i think it was the year before i ripped my bicep on my left arm so it was like a comeback year for me to jiu-jitsu i ripped my left biceps so it completely tore off, tore off, and I had to make it like a surgery to get it back. So big win after coming back. Did you have to change your game much coming back from that? More changed my lifestyle. Tried to enjoy life more because I was out for for a while, and uh, I figured that I only been doing YouTube for the couple of last years, and I realized that you that you actually need friends and you need to take care of your family and stuff like this. So. I think actually my bicep was one of the things that kept me in the sport. That's crazy, actually, because that's one of the things that comes against me. I kind of get in my head that, okay, I'm at a certain level now. And if I want to win ADCC in these biggest tournaments in the world, I have to try to be the best in the world. Stop trying to be the best in the world and just fucking be the best in the world. Like, you know, just do do what you're going to do and it'll happen or not. You know, so I think trying to enjoy life is definitely one of the more difficult things sometimes always trying to be better but so you feel like that was a blessing in disguise nearly not not when i had it but now retro perspective is that the word uh look back at it it it, um it for sure helped me 
with the mindset and everything and how to approach life and stuff like when you're younger people always tell you you're gonna realize when you get older you're gonna understand when you get older and now i'm understanding what everybody was telling me that you need to sometimes relax have a beer uh, enjoy enjoy everything it's not just about the training and so going back to when you first started jiu-jitsu back in Stockholm. How was the scene back then? It was small in Sweden when I started. I think we had I think we had six black belts in total in Sweden. And so how did you know you wanted to pursue it then if you didn't have you probably didn't have that many people around you that were professional competitors or making money from jiu-jitsu? How did you get the feeling and the idea that this is for me? I actually don't really remember the process. I I was in like a chiropractor school. I don't really remember like the reason I like I want want to do this for uh, for the rest of my life, but it was something like if I don't do this now, I'm never gonna have the chance to do it again. So I just mm. dropped out uh, of a chiropractor school and I just went for it. I don't really remember like it wasn't like uh like I had a good plan or something. I just acted on like a gut feeling or whatever it was. That's kind of similar to my story actually as well. The jiu-jitsu was getting in the way of the college, and the college was getting in the way of jiu-jitsu. And I think it was actually, I heard Dara saying, uh, Dara O'Connell, I heard him saying that he just wants to train every day. And I was like, geez, mm. that's what I want. So I kind of gave up the school and I was like, I'll keep, I'll keep doing this as much as I can and see where it goes. And Yeah, that, that was basically it. Like uh, jujitsu was the, the funniest thing I ever done, done. And like it gave a sense of purpose to my life. So it wasn't more than that, you know, like in the beginning, I wasn't even thinking about like winning world, world, world or something i just wanted to train but uh, that came after a while you know after doing like the full, uh, small uh, local tournaments and everything and did you get any pushback from like parents or friends or anything uh, obviously my my parents weren't too happy of me dropping school to like a sport nobody ever heard about uh, <laughs> but uh like my friends didn't get it they wanted to party and uh, like having fun and i was just in training so eventually i lost basically all of my friends and all the friends i have now is like the ones from i made through jiu-jitsu but i guess it's like a normal process people outside the sport doesn't realize uh, any difference between like having a medal from the europeans or or like winning scandinavian open uh, so like as soon as like they saw pictures of me winning like a small uh, competitions my like everybody was yeah uh, cool my dad couldn't understand how if I won, let's say, the Irish Open at Blue Belt, he couldn't understand how I didn't get my purple belt. He's like, oh, so you get your, your next belt now? I was like, no, no, no. I only just got my blue belt like a few months ago. He's like, oh, but you but you won the Irish. You're the best in Ireland. I'm like, no, well, not really. Like, it's just I won my division on that day. It's, it's hard to explain for people that's outside uh, how it really is, you know, and, and it's like, oh, uh, when I won the Europeans in blue belt for the first time, it's like, oh, you're the best in Europe. It's like, uh, no, not really. I won at a blue belt level. And, oh, but you must be a superstar. No, nobody knows who I am. <laughs> and I had to pay 100 euro yeah, to enter precisely. this tournament. And I bought my own tickets <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Well, did you ever have any pressure or any ideas that you wanted to move to like a super team when you were coming up through the ranks, winning big tournaments at blue and purple belt or anything? Yes. Um, so I think when I was blue or purple belt, we have Michael Lange for a seminar uh, in our gym. And 
he invited me to come train in, in uh, at the Alliance headquarters in Sao Paulo. And uh, I don't think he was serious by, with the invitation. But anyways, I, I took it as it was serious. So I went to Brazil, uh, stayed there for one month, uh, living inside his house, which was really cool. And I had the plan in my head that we were going to move to Sao Paulo to do my jiu there and continue my journey. But... Like the same year, um, my old gym joined the Alliance team. We broke away from the Alliance gyms. So it was like a little bit of mess. So my, my dream like fell away and uh, my team joined Checkmat. So I couldn't go there. So and, and in my like I wanted to go train in Arthas, but I remember why I didn't go there. So I had a lot of plans of like moving away and taking the step the next step but then i injured my arm and a lot of things came in the way would you ever have any regrets looking back on it like oh i wish i just fucking went to sao paulo yeah when i look back at it i wish i moved to i think i i mm. wish i moved to autos when i when i had the plan of doing that's probably when it was coming up as like it probably wasn't the superpower that it is yet no it wasn't fighting but i lost to rolando samson in the world finals in blue belt so I'm thinking like, yeah, I have to go there and, and like see how good everybody is and, and train with him. But it never came to that. A lot of Europeans that I talk to, they come from like areas with a bit less jujitsu, And I know myself as well. You always have in the back of the mind, like, should I just fucking go all in and move to America and do this? But then what kind of got it for me is I imagine my life over there. Let's say if I got injured and I had a few months, I'd be like, fuck, would I, would I want to stay there? You know, but I've still been... I've still been kind of struggling with it. Like, should I go to America and just go all in? And it's hard to figure out because you have a lot of the family and friends and everything at home. But like after my first trip to Brazil and training in Sao Paulo, and away when I came home, I always had like good training partners and people picking me up. And uh, I kind of realized that you are not on the top level in the black belt tradition. Uh, I see myself being there, but uh, on paper, I haven't really performed at that level yet so but i realized it was possible so i like i made a few trips i trained a, like a week here and there but i mainly done my training back home in sweden and, and the first trip to brazil in my mind it made it possible to do it at home because they weren't doing anything special okay people were better but they weren't doing anything like magical and, and I realized it just comes down to hard work sometimes. And we, and I was looked at the mat and I was training. There were a lot of like good guys and I, like I, I can make it back home. So that was, I think, also one of the things that didn't make me to move anywhere. Who would be people that had a big influence on your career back home? I know Finfu has been around Stockholm. I don't know if you've trained much with him throughout the years. Yeah, obviously, Finfu, like the last few years, we've been training and having a good relationship. And I tried to go at least one time a week to complain with him because we're similar size and always like had good training with him. And obviously, he inspired me a lot. But one time a week training with somebody, you don't form that kind of uh, relationship um, but I always had like two twins inside like one set of t- twins inside my gym called uh, Jim and Daniel they're probably not so known in the jiu-jitsu circuit today but back in the days when we were coming up and a little bit before that they were I would say like two of the top guys in Europe they were on the mats all the time and, and they, they're the ones like inspiring me 
the most because I was always training with them and, and and they showed the like value of hard work to me. Like internet wasn't so big in YouTube and flow grappling back then, but Daniel beats some uh, really good guys. He beat Michael Lera in like the World Pro Finals in blue belt and stuff like this. So we always had like good good level in my old gym. Since you got your black belt, how have you found it adapting to competing at the black belt level? I don't think there's so big differences between the belts. But I, I, what I, when I look at the competitions and I look myself competing, we were the same guys in blue belt winning on like the highest level. We that was the same guys minus plus somebody in purple belt and the same in brown. The biggest change from brown to black is like you cannot make any mistakes. Like you cannot make like the small mistakes you were doing in blue and purple and brown belt even. Uh, like in black belt, if you lose that advantage, it could lose you the fight. So obviously there's a there's a difference, but it's like you cannot make any mistakes at black belt. That That's what I found. Where do you see the gi game going in the future? The last few years, it seems to be dominated by a lot of the different lapel guards. I think it's impossible to say. Who could have seen like the lapel going to be a big thing? And who could see the bernbole would be a big thing? And who could say like the 50-50 could be a big thing? Uh, as soon as uh, one competitor like uh, comes out and makes something really good, many of people like change change into that game. And Keenan maybe with the lapel, but if he would be doing some something else, maybe the, the game would have been seen totally different. The thing I always find funny with the gi is I imagine putting a few years into teaching let's say my students a lot of different lapel guards and all these tricks and then the ibjjf just say oh it's getting a bit boring we'll come out with a new rule you're not allowed to grab the lapel like that and i'm like oh the last few years i just wasted them i'd nearly be afraid of putting time into something that could so easily be taken away with a little rule change that's always like one of the problems like Im- imagine if adc said we have so many knee injuries now and they say oh you're not allowed to do helix i don't think you can think in that way if it works, it works. And I think you, you, what separates Jiu-Jitsu from other grappling sports, for example, wrestling, that it's it's kind of MMA for for grappling. You're allowed to do everything with certain kind of limits. And that's, that's what Jiu-Jitsu is, for me at least, that you're allowed to do everything. So if it's regulated too much, it's not going to be more so. You're right, actually. And I was explaining to someone the other day, because the judo was on in the Olympics and they were asking me, like, what's the difference between judo and jiu-jitsu? And I was nearly finding it hard to tell them the difference, but I was kind of saying, jiu-jitsu, you can just do everything. Judo has a lot of rules and it's about takedowns, you know? And then I was saying, like, I was just getting overly complicated with it. I was like, but actually, we use a lot of judo in jiu-jitsu and we use a lot of wrestling. And <laughs> You're allowed to do everything and it's not as regulated, maybe, as other grappling sports. Yeah. Because as soon as you start watching wrestling, you don't understand the rules. Some, if you're not pushing forward, they go down in mm. referee's position or like judo, you're not allowed to grip in a certain way. So it kind of takes away from the purity of the sport. Jiu-Jitsu is like the MMA of grappling. You're allowed to do everything. <laughs> That's a good way of thinking of it. I meant to ask you earlier as well, actually, did you have any odd jobs coming up through the ranks, like going up through the belts? Raising money has always been uh, the issue, and I've done a lot of weird stuff. Uh, everything from bouncing, um, taking care of old people, cleaning trash, everything. Like all the weird stuff you can imagine yourself doing. But I got really lucky. I, f- I found a, I had a friend inside the gym that was working in a prison for kids. 
and he got me in there. And uh, for the last like six years, I've only been doing that. So that's really, really good job for for like training a lot. How has that been? It sounds kind of an intense environment to be working in. Yeah, and you get the use of your, you can use your YouTube, which is cool. No, but it's a really good work. Um, like most of the time it's just sitting watching TV and once in a while it's a, yeah. something happens, but it's a really cool job. And is it hard seeing the young people be in trouble like that? Yeah, it is. It drains you mentally, but if you want to have something, you need to sacrifice something else. Right, so I had to sacrifice my friends to be able to do jiu-jitsu, and I had to maybe sacrifice a little bit of my mental health to be able to do jiu-jitsu now. So uh, I'm not too too. Uh, I'm happy with my situation. Of course, it's it's hard to see people uh, like that, like especially kids inside a prison. They shouldn't be there. It would probably toughen you up anyway, being around it. I'd say. Or make you a bit cynical? Maybe more cynical. I think one of the things when working with stuff like this is like you need to be aware of your thoughts. They can go from dark places if you don't them in check. It's like when you're sad, your mind can wander off in in bad places or when you're angry. So sometimes you just need to stop and bring your thoughts back into to reality because you can go so yeah. far. Jeez, that's crazy. It's good to be... There's probably some positives to being exposed to stuff like that as well. You know, you get to explore those different ideas and be aware of them, you know, and then when they come up, maybe in outside life, you're kind of more ready for them. It makes you feel gratitude for what you have. We have clothes. We get to train you too. I get to eat three times a day. When you realize that many people don't even have that, they don't have any free time, they they don't do anything they like to do. You you uh, get a sense of gratitude for for where you are in life. It happens to athletes a lot as well, I think. You're so upset that you're number five in the world instead of number one in the world. When really you have you have pretty much everything that you always wanted. And you look at on the like social media and oh, how good the guys are having in Puerto Rico and they train all day on the beach. And then when you forget that your life is pretty great as well. Like I, for my life, I only work two two days a week, so five days a week I get to do what I like to do the most in the whole world. And even now, I'm inside the gym with my students here. He's resting before the evening training, so I'm truly blessed where I'm inside, where I'm in my life. So you stop and think, yeah. And how has it been starting your own gym? Has it lived up to expectation? Has there been any problems that came up that you didn't foresee? Yeah, <laughs> way more work than I thought it would be. Like I had the expectation that it would be a lot of work, but it's way more work than than I was expecting. But luckily, my wife's been with me during the whole process and she does YouTube as well. So I'm not too good with like all the administration and stuff like that but she basically took care of everything so without her it wouldn't have been possible but uh, like with that said it gone way better than we than we ever expected it to be the gym has almost 200 members now we have been around for one year and and during the most of the time we haven't let in new students because of the covid situation and we had restrict the classes to not be too many people inside the gym at the same time even with that we're almost 200 people now and we have kids class we're adding 
uh, like youth classes and girl classes and everything. So it's going so well. And what's the secret? Did people just know you around the area and everyone wanted to train with you when you opened? I think it's a combination between like we're a lot of good instructors together with we try to have like a good atmosphere like in the morning we come in we put on some reggae and we relax and we don't we try not to be rude at people and try to remember everybody's name and just be cool and when we train we train hard but everything else we just try to be nice to people and has the extra responsibility taken anything away from your training or has it added to it maybe even? <laughs> yeah i don't have as much uh, time and energy to work on my own moves like a lot mm. of the things, my duty is very specific and a lot of the moves, like 90% of the moves I teach inside the gym, I don't even do myself, but I need, my students need to know the moves. It, it gives me less energy to work on myself, but I think it's a good way as well. It forces you to learn. It forces you to think more than you did before. Before I could just focus on myself and uh, if I saw something I needed to improve for myself, I did that. But now I have I have a lot of people and then when they ask questions about their game, I need to go home and think. And it's a constant evolution trying to understand uh, our sport. So I guess that is good. What things do you have your eye on in the near future to do with maybe competition, coaching, anything in between? We're not certain about how the competition is going to be this fall, but there's a lot of rumors. IBJF said they're going to have like the worlds and stuff. First, I want my team to become like the best team in the nationals. That would be great. And I think we have a really good chance because we have a lot of good, good people. And uh, for myself, I want to compete just as much as I can. I still feel like I have a lot of, lot of things I want to perform at the highest level still, you know? I uh, haven't medal at any majors in the black belt, so I guess <laughs> there's a big quest ahead of me. Well, best of luck with it anyway. You definitely have the skill and everything to do it, so looking forward to seeing that in the near future. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Big thanks to Max for coming on the show. It was cool to learn about his journey to the top ranks of the sport, as well as the really interesting but also difficult work that he does working in a prison for juveniles. Again, I'll leave a link as well in the description for anyone who wants to check out the fundraiser after Max's gym was burned down recently. Obviously, any help is appreciated with that. I hope everyone is enjoying the podcast. And if you do, it helps us a lot if you can share it with your friends and subscribe to avoid missing any episodes. We'll be back next week with another great guest. So until then, Slánagas Bánagta.